Explore the night skies with our large range of high-quality telescopes. Whether you're a novice or an astronomy expert, we have the right telescope for you in our Australian Geographic e-store. Explore the whole range and find the right telescope for you today. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash shop. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash shop. Hi, I'm Liz Guinness, and this is Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. Today I'm talking to Sarah Davis. Last time Sarah was on Talking Australia, we chatted about her epic kayak trip down the River Nile. Now she's tackled another mighty waterway, our very own Murray River. From source to sea, she takes us along for the ride. As always, it's my absolute pleasure to be chatting with Sarah on this episode of Talking Australia. Welcome back to Talking Australia, Sarah. Um, I believe you've been on another big adventure since we last spoke to you about paddling down the Nile, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about it. Thanks so much for having me back, Liz. No, it's great to be back here. Um, for those of you who don't know what Sarah's been up to, I will quickly tell you she's paddled down the Nile, and then I think I'm just going to throw to you because I couldn't speak more about it than you can. So, yeah, the Nile so started that in, that was what, October uh, 2018, uh, after two years of, of preparation to get there. And, and then it was just one massive adventure uh, of 1,100 k's of rafting, um, being attacked by hippos, getting detained in Burundi, running crazy rapids, and then heading up through Sudan and Egypt for 3,000 k's of kayaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a whole different set of, of challenges there, you know, with the, the physical from the kayaking, but also the continued sort of mental challenge of, you know, the, the keeping going and going through Sudan as they were trying to overthrow the government. There was... Yeah, let's just say never a dull moment on that one. <laughs> Definitely. And if anyone is interested, we uh, recorded an earlier podcast with you about that so people can tune into that. But what we'd love to talk to you about now is your latest adventure where you paddled down the Murray River in yes. Australia. So last time we spoke, you had talked about that and I thought it maybe it was a plan for perhaps a few years down the track, but you jumped straight in and we're, were back into paddling fairly quickly or what seemed to me to be very fairly quickly. How did that all come to be? Yeah, well, it felt quickly to me too, and certainly my yeah. body. Because <laughs> I literally I finished the Nile in April mm-hmm. and then kicked this one off in December. So, yeah, I just really wanted to do, I knew even before I'd finished the Nile, I wanted to do something in my home country. And someone sort of suggested, well, why don't you do, maybe aim to do a source to sea river expedition on each continent? And I was like, I really love that idea. And so it's like, well, I'm going to go and do one in, in Australia. And, and timing-wise, it just worked for me to do it quite quickly afterwards and also just wanted to maybe just put my map myself on the map a little bit more as as an adventurer Mm -hmm. um to be taken you know seriously in that space and to do something which was this one was mostly solo so that was sort of one of the differences to this one so yeah you know I came up with the idea and after doing the Nile like anything else seems fairly easy to organize in comparison you know there was so so sunny it's at home you don't have to worry about you know um where money, exchanging money and visas and, and yes, there was a, you know, a risk profile absolutely with this, but it was very different um, to what I had to deal with in, in the Nile, along the Nile. Oh, 
Right. Yeah, so it was a lot easier. And I actually had to almost give myself a bit of a talking to to go, so don't be too complacent with this because I, I felt like I probably haven't done enough organising. Mm. Um, so there was that risk. So I did kind of have to lift my game coming into it and just go, right, let's just focus a little bit um, and did put some things in place just to... Yeah, I can imagine actually, because I think about think, oh yeah, we'll just take my kayak and chuck it in, and away we go. There's no yeah. crocs, there's no hippos, there's no real risks to safety that I can think of. But am I wrong in in that? Well, in that there assessment? were there were some. I mean, obviously you've got the environment, you know, of dealing with weather, um, stuff like that. From uh, the animals' perspective, snakes. And in the beginning, you know, it it was snake season as people warned me like that it was just getting really warm when we yeah. did the hike into the source in Kosciuszko National Park. And they're like, yeah, they just come out of hibernation and basically hangry um, yes. and about to head into a mating season as well. So they've got that to add. Very active. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not ones you really want to mess with. And of course, yeah. you know, Australian snakes are all going to be deadly. So there was, we saw quite a few snakes at the start and then... As I went on, um, certainly to begin with, there were some like Christmas Day was was a the one of the, one of the worst days, and certainly the worst Christmas. Oh, why? Oh, there was I'd had a the start of it. We'll probably talk about that in a minute, but there was a lack of water in the Upper Murray, right. and so I'd had a really tough day. And then I'm sitting by my tent. I've had some food. And see out of the corner of my eye, a brown snake coming around the corner of my tent. I've uh, never moved so fast in my life. Oh, I bet. Grab the GPS. I also didn't have any mobile signal, so I couldn't call anyone or text anyone on Christmas Day. And then the only company I get is a brown snake. <laughs> it's like, that's really not what I wanted. And Classic I've got a bit Australia. of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, mate. <laughs> so there was that... Um, you know, then there's the things like obviously in Australia you don't camp under the big trees because the widow makers will drop. It's like, I, like, seriously, the trees are going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of people who don't know what a widow maker is, it's a eucalypt. Yeah, yeah the big, the one, yeah, with the big branches, and they just randomly drop the branches, yeah, they or can, seemingly they, randomly. They can do. Um, and I did hear about someone who did have their legs broken lying in a tent when a one of the branches dropped on them. Um, so there was. That so those are sort of probably the main risks, and then also dealing with doing a trip on the river in Australia over the holidays, a lot of speedboats and jet skis. So you've actually sort of got it. You do have a people risk, but a very different kind of, you know, different forms. So I was trying to avoid that, not getting knocked in the water by the wake. Yeah, uh, no, of so, course, yeah. not, not run over and those sorts of things. Yeah. So hiking into the headwaters, how does how long does that take? What did you have with you? How did you get your kayak there? How how does that all work? So I drove up from Sydney, dropped my kayak. Um, a friend of mine, Craig, sort of came with me. So we dropped all my gear off and then I went and met uh, the guide who was taking me in, so Richard Swain, uh, who was fantastic, uh, a very passionate um, sort of environmentalist and someone who's lived and worked in Kosciuszko, the, the area around there, for and the snows for a long time and takes rafting trips and kayaking trips and... So I knew I wasn't going to be able to. I'm not an experienced bushwalker, and there was mm. no way I'm going to go and and try and find the the um the source and and trek next to it. So lined him up, and then actually, a chap who's quite literally written the book when it comes to Murray Darling Adventures, and that's the name of it. Mike Bremers, uh, he agreed to come along as well. He was interested in doing this sort of initial hike in and along by the river, mm-hmm. and then one of Richard's guides, Chris, came along too for the for the experience. So. We were dropped off, Mike and I dropped off, and, and we hiked into Kwombat Flats, dropped our gear, and then went up to find the source. And you start going like, away from the sort of the 
secure areas into the bush and you know you're sort of scrambling through it and then he's like yeah it's here it's here it's ah there it is and it's literally a pole in the middle of the bush I don't know how he found it like to know where to kind of leave the path that we were on and, and find this bush um this pole and at the top of it there's a couple of canisters so you unscrew those and in there there's notebooks and everyone who goes up to the source, writes their name in there. Now, whether it's still there after the fires have gone through, I don't I don't know. Did the fires go through that specific I'm not area? sure exactly where they went through, but they were through. I mean, they went through Kosciuszko, so I'm not yeah. sure exactly if it went there. Um, but it was really, it's just really cool until he also spotted a black snake just about a couple of metres away. I feel this may be a theme. <laughs> the river snaking through the countryside and the snake like snaking towards you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did that and then, you know, met Richard and Chris and camped and then we spent the next two days walking next to the Murray as it so actually turns into a bit of a creek. And it was great, like this thick, thick bush. I remember to sort of scramble over rocks and then walking through the creek, you know, it's yeah. up to my bum at times. Uh, and I just, I loved it. That was a real adventure. I mean, yes, we're dealing with the snakes and things like that, but... That was great. And just being with those guys, you know, listening to Mike talking about, you know, his time down the Murray because he's done a descent, but over about 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and then Richard, like the knowledge he has, um, he's, you know, he's an Aboriginal guy. And so the knowledge he's got from the land and everything, it was just, it was brilliant and his passion for it. So it was a really good few days. And then unfortunately, because there wasn't enough water, um, there was a, a short section about 70 k's that just wasn't going to be passable because uh, it's white water, so you need a certain the kites yeah, that we would have used. Sure. It was just no, it will come back and do that at a later date. So Mike and I um, just hiked another section um, instead, and then yeah, and then I had a couple of days just to sort myself out, and then got in the in the kayak at Cancobin with all my supplies, and from then on, after that initial four days, it was solo for the remaining, including those two-day rest days, another 56 days. How do you cope with that? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm an only child, so quite well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to share my stuff, so it's fine. <laughs> that, that, is, sorry, that is me, right? I don't compromise. I do everything on my schedule. It was one of, you know, was, the people was the highlight, but they were also one of the challenges on the last trip because you always, you know, there's, you can have the same goal, but how you want to execute it is different. Like, I don't want to mess around. I want to... You know, get, in, get, it done. get it get it done. You know, enjoy it, but yeah. I'm not hanging around. So you know, if I'm then with someone who wants to kind of cruise and just enjoy it, that's sort of the next level of frustration. So, from a being on my own perspective, good, but obviously you then lack that distraction. So you're just it's just you, mm. and it's quite monotonous when you're paddling. <clears throat> you know, nine hours a day, as beautiful as the the country is, it's Pretty same, same at times. Yeah, so, I so a lot of podcasts, okay. a lot of audiobooks. Okay. But also a really nice time to think. Like we don't excuse me. <coughs> we don't let ourselves get bored. You no, know, it's, which, it's we so avoid true. it because we find it uncomfortable. Costs. We'll get the you know, the phone out, we'll watch Netflix, we'll fill our diaries, but I think, you know, when you're bored, it's that time for some reflection and not ruminating, you know, reflection and extracting lessons, what's learned from it and really thinking about the future. So it was really valuable from that and getting to actually have some time to really reflect more on the Nile trip because that was so go, 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 really. Um, And I hadn't had that 
time to really just sort of reflect in that way. So it was, a, yeah, it was a really special time from that, um, from that. So, yeah. So it sounds like in a way it was uh, not recovery in a physical sense from the Nile, but in a, in a maybe an emotional or an intellectual mm. sense, just giving yourself the space to really process what had happened. Yeah. Yeah. And all, and all sorts of other things. And in a way it did almost be, it was a recovery from a, physical sense I'd, I had quite a lot of fatigue off the back of the Nile trip and I think it was more looking back now I think it was more emotional mental um but I was like having to sleep nine ten hours a night and then still not feeling refreshed and I'd got my, got my you know things like cortisol levels checked because I was worried like have I put myself into some kind of you know adrenal fatigue but mm. that all came back fine and actually off this trip I'm, I now feel like my energy levels now coming yeah, back of this are way of normal yeah you know I'm waking up after seven or eight hours and I'm ready to go to the gym and you know and yeah it's well, I think it's actually most, I think a lot of people would struggle with that perhaps the, the antidote is to take some time and pat, paddle the Murray <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> you're suffering from deep go on yeah, off you go. 60, two and a half thousand kilometer pedaling trip <laughs> you'll be right um so but obviously you ran into people along the way how what sort of stints did you do when it was just you and then there were other you know did you know that there were house you know, homesteads along the way that you could call into or how did all that work in food and yeah well there's a there's a couple of really good books which map out the the Murray uh and so I could see where the you know obviously from that where there's going to be um places to get supplies and it would say whether there are good supplies there where there's um camping and, and things like that I wilderness camped for most of it until coming into South Australia it's sort of it's a bit harder to find those camping spots, whereas along up until this um, South Australia border, everything on the Victorian side, 60 metres back from the river, is crown land. So I actually did sleep on someone's um, garden in the garden because I couldn't... The stretch I wanted to get through, there were way too many speedboats. I, there was, I just couldn't get through and, and stay upright in the kayak wow. and couldn't find anywhere to camp. And I was asking, there was an area <clears throat> where there were all these houses along. And I sort of like, guys, you know anywhere to camp? And the house next door is like, look, this guy, he's not around. Obviously, he didn't come around. So if you just got a tent, just sleep there. So that's what I did. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? This is my understanding. <clears throat> if you have a river running through your property, it's not your property on either side of the river to a certain point. Is that I don't right? know. No, it's on in New South Wales. I think they're the properties. If you've got property on the river, all the way down to the oh, river okay. is, is, yours. is yours. It's just on that Victorian side. Um, so there was... You know, most of the way there were people at some point, but I would go, I think there'd be some days where I wouldn't see see anyone. And after I got past the Hume, so up until the Hume, there was very little water. And I would literally sort of, some, at times it would be paddle 50 metres, get out, drag the kayak, because oh it'd be a very little, it'd be enough to drag it in, but not to paddle in. Mm-hmm. Paddle 50 or 100 metres, get out, drag. It was so wow. tedious. Yeah, I bet. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm tapping out of this. I'm getting to Auburn. I've just, I I'm not doing this. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And trying to come up with excuses that would save face if I did start doing it. <laughs> um, what did you come up with? Yeah, nothing particularly nothing. convincing. So I'm like, <laughs> no. just get to Aubrey and then make a call from from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going across the the reservoir there, like it was so low. It was at about 28%, maybe 30% when I went through. So it's really eerie because you just got to these dead trees where yeah, it's been yeah. flooded. I can imagine the white bark and the yeah. ghostly limbs. Yeah. Um, 
But once I got below there, then I started, there was some current, there was some flow. So then it's like, okay, right, let's start to break this down because also mentally looking at I've got 2,000 kilometers to go is incredibly overwhelming. So it's just like, let's make this a little bit, break it down into chunks. So I go, right, let's start with a, I think I did a, the initial stretch was like seven days from there, seven or eight days, and I'll stop it wherever that was. Wouldn't have been a Chuka. Well, maybe it was. I can't remember the order of it. So, and then go, okay, and then we'll do, see how that feels, have a rest day there, get my resupplies. And then it was a, a nine days. And then, you know, stopping at Swan Hill, um, Mildura, and so on. So I, it was, it really helped just to break that down. And then I take most of my supplies in all, all those towns. Like there's always a, you know, at least an IGA, if not mm. a Woolies or a Coles or something. And so it's really easy to get the food and I had the same thing every day because it just meant every time I went and did a food shop I knew exactly what to get and there was no having to waste time thinking about oh what should I get for this section it's just keep it the same you don't forget anything um and yeah you don't have to waste time worrying about what works what doesn't did you have a sort of a certain amount of k's you wanted to do a day once you were down through that patch of yeah not not so much water <clears throat> yeah so I was trying to do 55 to 60 k's a day and to begin with that was really easy because you got quite a lot of flow they were doing, um, it was as much environmental flushing of the river as it was getting money to the irrigators, sorry, not money, water to the irrigators. It's <laughs> quite probably, that's a, that's an money goes the other way, yes, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a contentious subject yes, all the way down, I as you can imagine. I bet it was, I bet you heard all sorts of um, Yeah, so it just meant that there was water flowing through. It was just as you, the further you go through, because you've got uh, locks there's a total of, I think I went through 13 locks. Yeah. yeah. Well, so as you as you come up to each one, obviously the river slows because it's being held up by the, the weir. And, but all of them were releasing. And I got, you know, it's like, oh, how much are you releasing here? And I got to know like, what's good, what's bad. It's like, oh, seven points. Oh, 7.7. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, only three. Oh, it's oh. going to be slow for me. <laughs> <laughs> so the more they release, the better. The better the flow is. The better but the flow below, Yeah. So then you get down below so you it and you have a bit more of a, a push. Hand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but then it, it does gradually slow as you go along. And so suddenly getting, punching out that 55 to 60 Ks instead of doing it in eight hours and sort of nine hours. And there was one day I think I ended up, I wanted to get to Berry, and I thought, no, I'm, I won't make it there today. I'll just do a short day tomorrow and have a partial rest day. And I looked at it and it was a 45 degree day. And I looked at the watch at about 5.30 and I'm like, PM, AM, PM. And I've been on the water since 6.30. And I'm like, another two hours. I reckon I can make berries. So I phoned the motel and I'm like, have you got a room for tonight as well? And they're like, yes. And at 45 degrees, the thought of aircon shower. You know, I can well imagine. I'm like, yeah, I don't Whatever care. So I did like 68 Ks, was in the kite for nearly seven, 13 hours. Oh. But it was so worth it. I <laughs> well was well it. incentivized. <laughs> <laughs> at what time did you straggle on in there? I think I got there at 7.30. I said I'd be there at 7.30. I literally got off the oh, water at, at 7.30. It's like, yep, yeah, work, work this one out. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely worthwhile. We'll be back with our conversation with Sarah after this short break. We have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you'll also receive exclusive benefits, including 10% off all products purchased in our e-store. 
Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia for our special offer. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. And we're back with Sarah Davis. I imagine a trip like that has a lot of um, upsides. So for me, I like the idea of being out on my own. I quite enjoy my company, my own company as well, um, seeing obviously the wildlife. Um, but also the people you meet along the way. For me, I find that would be something to really look forward to. Did you enjoy that company? Um, did you meet a lot of really interesting Australian characters along the way? Oh, and it really was one of the highlights. It was for the Nile trip and it was for this. And it sort of, when it comes back to that kindness of strangers mm. and, and I was just blown away by, you know, at the close to the start. So at Albury, um, you got the big down there and, and I knew I wanted to have a rest day at Albury and this guy who, Dave, he runs the Murray Canoe, um, hire company and I'd message him to say, look, could I possibly store my kayak while I have a rest day? Yeah, is that great? And I said, yeah, and, you know, I'm at the reservoir getting around there at the moment and no one would help me, right? No one would help me with my, well, I say kindness to strangers, not all the time. No, right. <laughs> I was asking people, because they've got all these trailers for this, the motorboats and stuff. It's like, could someone just take me around the, the dam? Oh, ooh, no. Oh, what to oh, the kids? No. Oh, oh, sorry. So they literally, they watched me drag my kayak up this slope because I've called this guy, Dave, and he said, it's all right, I'll send my guy who takes the clients out and he can bring you around. It's like, bless your heart. So he said, just drag your kayak up to the top. And these people are literally, these guys are sitting there watching me drag this kayak up. Anyway, but from there on, everyone was lovely <laughs> and very helpful. Note so, to self, if you see someone <laughs> doing Help. <laughs> I don't know. I must have had rest, resting pigeons on or something. I thought I was being really polite and lovely, but possibly not. Had you, not been, had you been out in the wilds for like a week and maybe, everything? It was a and bit I think because too... I was just come off this, like having to drag my kayak every day, that I was just obviously the energy I was giving off possibly wasn't that great. Like, wide berth, wide berth. <laughs> Back away. <laughs> um, but Dave was brilliant. Like he sent the guy to pick my, you know, take me around the way. And then he gave, he said, look, well, you're welcome to come and stay at my place for a couple of days where I had my rest day so he did that Lovely. yeah and, he was, and then he just helped me context for hey this could be a place to store a, a, your ski further down um and yeah so then there were a few places where I got to store my kite like and people were really happy to do that um in Mildura because I found out that there's a life-saving club there which I didn't realize oh, I and I'm a surf lifesaver with North Bondi so I was like oh, I was so excited about that so I messaged them and they were brilliant they let me store the kayak I gave her a name um she got called Mildred because I started talking to her so I thought she should have a name the good news is that she didn't start talking back <laughs> are you sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, and the Chris and Tim at the at Mildura Life Saving, they were brilliant. They sort of ferried me around and invited me around for dinner. And um, Tim's a really good massage therapist and acupuncturist. So I got a treatment there, which my shoulders really needed. Yeah, so that was lovely. And then, oh, I said a couple of the campsites. I had people cooking me dinner. Um, so Joe and, uh, and her cousin Tony, they cooked me dinner one evening and gave me leftovers the next day and water and stuff. And Someone else gave me some green teas and lollies and then she came over. She, she made up a little pat lunch with a chicken sandwich for me for oh, the next day. Sweet. Yeah, some fishermen who came and caught up. I couldn't understand that. I could hear a boat behind me. I'm like, there's an entire river. Why are you so close? <laughs> and after a while, I was like, all right, I'm going to look around and see who this is. I look around. I was like, sort of cranky face on. And I'm like, oh, hey. And I'm like, oh, okay. Hi, how are you? You did want to talk to me. It's not just 
getting in my personal <laughs> space for the sake of it, trying Safety to upset numbers me. numbers on the river. Yeah. And like, oh, we saw you this morning and you've been paddling all day. You must be parched and, you know, ready for a cold drink. And out of the esky, they whip a bottle of, like, fizzy cold, like, you know, the Schweppes flavoured water. Oh, yeah. And, and give me this bottle of water. And it was just like, oh, it was so good because you sort of miss having those cold drinks when you're on the river, you yeah. know, out in the heat. Yeah. And then they, they, they literally come out of their way to do that. So then they went back upstream to where they were going fishing. So there were just all those things. You just, it just blows me away. And it's, I, it's, it's so heartwarming, right? Yeah, it is. And you do hear about that, when, you know, when you allow yourself or open yourself up to travel. And often mm. when you travel on your own, um, this sort of, these sort of opportunities for people flood in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's just, like I said, it's really hot when I was incredibly grateful to all those people. And, you know, and also it's nice to talk to people because as much as I enjoy my own company, I'm like, you know, as soon as like, there was people to talk to and hear other people's stories and not just the voices in my head and the stories I was telling myself. Um, while you were on the river, did you get a sense of the the drought affecting the river? Yeah, you could see it in a lot of areas. Like it was very clearly low. You could see where the river levels would normally be and where you've got the creeks running off. Um, then so many of those were, were dry. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, you could really see it. And then where you were going through areas where it wasn't the forest, it's just, you know, tinder, tinder dry. And then when you get to closer to South Australia, and from what I understand, because of the droughts they in areas, they haven't been able to put crops in for a couple of years. Mm. So, of course, when the wind comes through, there was one day as I was coming into Mildura and it just whipped, I literally was hardly moving and a good spot came up. So I thought, right, I'm just going to take the spot. I'll get to Mildura tomorrow. And, and because I was close to Mildura, I had some decent um, coverage on my phone. So I was in my tent, there was rain coming down. I was like, oh, good call to be in here. And I'm playing on the phone and looking at everything. And then I actually have a look outside and it's just this r apocalyptic kind of reddish color in the sky. So I put my nose out to check, like, is this smoke? And it's like, no, it wasn't smoke. It was the it was the dust. Yeah. And the visibility cuts right down. And, and when I was in Mildura, one day they were like, oh, check this out. And you look down the high street and you can just see this cloud of dust, thick, coming towards a red dust. So, yeah, you get to see very clearly the impact that the, the yeah. drought's been having. I imagine that would be really frightening to see that coming towards you. You know. It's really free. I mean, it's nice when you're in a motel and you've got something to hide and when you're in your little tent. Yeah, you wake exactly. up the next day and everything's like just covered in red dust. So 45 degrees, you were talking about hot days mm -hmm. like that. Um, did you have swim breaks? Was it, you know? In the evenings, I mean, when I finished, I'd have a swim break. If I was paddling in, in those conditions, I mean, occasionally I might, if I get out for a pit stop, then just lie in the water and just soak myself. Otherwise, just constantly splashing water on myself or, you know, soaking the hat and dousing myself in water yeah. um, just Staying to keep myself. obviously. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't seem to seem to need a lot of water. So I think the most, you know, I'd have a coffee and a tea, but, and I had a, a like a camel pack. Yeah. So right. I could always have water, but if I had two litres in, in a day, I'd have been surprised. Did you, were you able to draw the water from the river? You're drinking Sometimes. Water from the river? To begin with, that's what I did. Yeah. Um, and I had, I've got a UV steriliser just to be on the safe side. But once I got down to, I think it's like lock 11 or maybe 10, the green algae was a problem and you could see it. Yeah. And even boiling won't, from what I understand, won't kill that. So then, you know, I had some bladders that I could use to fill and would, when I'd stop, fill it up. You know, I try to avoid as much as possible buying bottled water because I just don't like the waste. But um, unfortunately, at times I did have to 
So at the end of the trip, you ended up in Murray Bridge, is that right? Did you finish well, there? Well, went no. no, I sort of went down past Murray Bridge, then you get to Wellington, and then it comes out into Lake Alexandrina. Yep. And unfortunately, I don't understand it, but they don't call that the finish. It's the finish is where Lake Alexandrina goes out into the Southern Ocean. So I'd heard the horror stories of of Lake Alexandrina before I, well before I got there. Um, the horror stories being. Well, the thing is, it's a very, it's a huge lake uh, and it's quite shallow. So what happens, you, t you often get the winds whip up, particularly in the afternoons. And because it's, it is so shallow, you get really steep wind chop, but the waves are quite close together. So people tell me you can get up to six foot waves on there, wow. but they're really close together. So it's not like six foot ocean swell that you can get over. Um, and there was a, a tragic case, I think it was a scouting trip that was out and the wind whipped up and there were, you know, kids that did lose their lives. Um, so there have been lives lost there. So it was a little bit apprehensive. So I decided, you know, I wasn't going to try and hammer it in one day and go across the middle, particularly as on my own and, and no support that I would mostly hug the side, yep. skip some of the bigger bays um, and split it into two days. So left Wellington literally at daybreak and, and was done by like one o'clock. But that was just as like this, the southwesterly was picking up and there was this great little free camp spot at Narong. Mm -hmm. But then the forecast for the next two days was really strong winds and someone who was working on the channel market said, oh, I wouldn't go out there in the southwesterly. Um, and I thought rather than risk it or yeah. get five kilometres or ten kilometres and have to wilderness camp, let's just stay here. There's people, there's a toilet, there's people give me some water and stuff sure. like that. Um, but obviously frustrating, like that's 35 kilometers from the finish. It's like, I can practically see yeah, it. Yeah, want to get going. But it was sort of quite nice just to reflect on the trip and then rest a little bit to really enjoy the last day. And the forecast was, was bang on that, that last day on the, on the 13th of Feb, woke up, no wind. It was like, yeah, excellent. So packed up, literally daylight got on the water, got going and, and it was just a perfect day. And once I got to, cause you've got the barrages. Yep. that go across the lake to stop the salt water getting into the river and turning it into an estuary. Yep. Um, got through the barrage and and then it was in the krong. It was like, it doesn't matter what happens now. If, I mean, if a storm whips out, I will walk along the sand and, and drag Mildred yeah. and get into the end <laughs> today. Uh, but it was just perfect. And it was oh, it was gorgeous. And then you sort of get to the end. So the mouth would be, I don't know, maybe 100 metres wide, maybe a bit more. Um, and, and just seeing, you know, when I could smell the ocean yeah. and I, you know, taste like the salty water, it's like, oh yes, I'm sort here. of back. I made it. Yeah. Um, so got out and cause I was worried that I was going to get dragged out. Luckily, like, I think the tide was coming in, but it's like, got out and walked up to the mouth and it was emotional again, you know, sort of that relief and, and, ha and then just pure happiness. I'm like, yeah, I've done it. Yeah. yeah. It, sounds yeah. it sounds like an incredible trip. Um, with incredible people along the way. Um, just in terms of prepping for a trip like that, what, what do you do? What, what are your stages? I know you're in risk management, mm -hmm. but how do you get yourself organised and going? Is it a matter of sponsors and, and those sorts of things? Look, for this one, um, the only sponsor I had was Bennett Paddles for my paddles. I decided not to go and try and secure sponsorship for this one, it being you know, I had a lot of kit. I had the GPS, I had the, the sat phone and, and all of that stuff. Um, I needed a different kayak for this trip. I couldn't use what I normally, my surf ski that I normally paddle in because it's got no storage. So I didn't go down that path. I did do my risk assessment again and, and just to 
check, you know, where things were, make sure I had things like the fire apps to be able to see where, mm. what was happening. I set up with a friend that I would check in with her every day. Um, to begin with, it was morning and night, but then it's once I got into the routine of things, just every evening, um, I would check in with her and there were agreed protocols. If I didn't check in with a certain time, what she would do. Yeah, and there was right. a backup and someone that she could talk to. Um, she had access to be able to see where I was at any one time, either from my phone or the GPS. Um, so there was that sort of the risk side of things and making sure, yeah, all the equipment I had was, was up to it, mm. life jackets and so on. Uh, physically it was, you know, I was still rebuilding from the Nile. So I did lose a bit of muscle, uh, from that. So my focus had really been on, on building the muscle. I didn't do a huge amount of paddling again, was working off the theory that I probably still have a, a reasonable base. And it was actually better than I thought. I, yeah. I have more endurance still in me than, than I was expecting. Just that muscle memory, do you think? Muscle memory. And yeah, I just think it's that endurance body goes, oh God, here we go again. I know how <laughs> oh, to do she's this. she's doing this again. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> um, so that, and then, you know, logistics wise, you know, getting like, how do I get to the start? So sort of finding was like, you know, there's a friend of mine, Craig, to sort of go, okay, right. If you, we drive in my car, will you drive my car back? And he's like, yeah, okay, great. You know, so it's sort of setting up that, finding the guide, like who's the right person to get me into the source. Okay, right, we get that. Mm. Um, so there was that that planning and looking at it logistically, putting all the information into my GPS and breaking it down and working out like about how long is this going to take. And yeah. It's like, okay, I'd put in 50K chunks into the GPS in stages like that so I could see, yeah, okay, that's 52 days. Well, let's see how I'm tracking and, and where I'm up to there. Um, so those are the main sort of, I think, bits in the preparation, mm -hmm. working out food and what do I want to take and and things. Yeah. In terms of comparing the two trips, and I mean, it's kind of, you know, apples and oranges really, isn't it? They're completely different things. But did you prefer one over the other? Um, like, this, like you say, they're very, very different. You know, I enjoyed some of the the early drama in the in the NAR trip. Like, I, I, that just sort of, that really brings me alive, that coming over those challenges and, you know, going through these amazing different countries. Um, I didn't get that saying being alive but I enjoyed you know how it did I didn't join it was at the time but how it did test me mm. on the on this trip in a very different way and you know coming up and going okay you know I've done that solo and yeah you know some of the things that I've I've been doing some speaking and I talk you know around some of the resilience and, and mindset and really mm. using the same things again um, at times lamenting what I preach because I really just wanted to cry. It was just like, it was slow going. I think I got to maybe the halfway mark, which is great. But then it's going, I've still got 1,250 kilometers to go. Well imagine. <laughs> and there was just one day, I don't know if it was that or, or another one. I'm like, oh, I just wanted to cry. And it's like, no, you know, we, we, we can't control what happens to us, but we can always, we always have control of our response. And I'm like, well, damn that stuff that I preach. <laughs> I couldn't let myself have a cry. <laughs> There's a saying that, that seems to be swirling around at the moment as well, which is, is um, this isn't happening to me. This it's is happening, happening for me. me. Yeah. So I think there's something to hold on to as well. Yeah. And then it's, it's you know, just using your attitude. And, and it's like, I chose to be there. And it's like, so you chose to be here. Right. Deal with it. Yeah. Um, so I was listening to some podcasts of people like, uh, no, it was a book, um, Rod Savage, who, amongst other things, wrote The Pacific. And the book that I listened to was her crossing of the, solo crossing, rowing of the Pacific. Yeah, oh crazy. God. And you, then you go, 
suck it up, Sarah. I'm fine. This is so easy in comparison. <laughs> this is you can get off. You can do all these things. Suck this it up. So true. then it just gives helps bring that perspective back into what you're doing, and it's like that's why I think it's great to go and you know follow people doing things far greater. You know, one mm. it can inspire, you, but it can also help motivate you and give you perspective. So that that kind of helped. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, they were very very different trips. I love I love both of them. Um, different takeaways from them. And if you had to, if, so there will be people sitting, listening to this, thinking, I'd like to give that a go. What, what would you, what piece of advice or would you give to them about a trip like this? Well, I'll just do it. Just, just do, do it. it. Just do it. And, and, you know, once you, you commit to it, you'll find out how. Even if you don't let not knowing how stop you. There are, you can, there's enough information out there, people to talk to. You know, there's there's all sorts of things and resources there. Whether it's something like the Murray or other trips, um, you'll always when you really want it, you'll you'll work up the hat, work it out, uh, and and just you know taking small small steps, small action um, each day, and you'll find a way to get there. And I just yeah, highly recommend go do these things. Yeah. Sounds like great adventure. advice for life, to be honest. <laughs> you know, see it, work towards it, make it happen. Yeah, dream, believe, succeed, one stroke at a time. Very nice. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. And um, I would love to, next time you've come back from your next adventure, come on, come and see us again. Love to. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Cheers. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia with Sarah Davis. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash Talking Australia, you'll find special offers for our listeners, including 10% off all products purchased in our e-store. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.